Yay, it's Monday. You know what that means, don't you? It's time for me, Kevin Eustace, to talk to you about ghosts. Hence the title of the show, really, and my name. I hope you're all doing fantastically well, as all us podcasters do like to ask you. Are you? I'll leave a break and play for you to reply. Go on. I know you're surrounded by people, but go on. Say yes, Kevin, out loud. Good, well done, the one person who done it. And everyone else, shame on you. What have we got in store for you today, then? Well, we've got all the usual good stuff. We're going to have a review, very shortly, about something paranormal. We're then going to listen to your true ghost stories. And don't forget, guys, if you've got a ghost story that truly happened to you or someone you know, or you just know a genuine true ghost story, send it in to contact at talkaboutghosts.com and I will read it out, for that's how the show works. Then, of course, after we've read your true paranormal experiences out loud, we're going to go into that corner which is inhabited by a sceptic known as Becca. Thunderclap noise. Yeah, so all in all, a good show over. There's somebody at the door. There's somebody at the door. I'd like to say that was part of some gimmick there set up, but it wasn't. It was a little break in play because I had a parcel delivered. What was the parcel, you ask? No, you don't. You're not asked. Because this is a paranormal show and we need to get right to the spook. But before we do, we need to say thank you to our wonderful Patreons who help keep the show running. Now, when you sign up to Patreon, you get two extra shows each and every week. Not every month. Every week, two extra shows. Yes, you do. You get one show midweek, which is me rambling about life in general and trying to have a bit of a laugh. And then you also get a paranormal podcast on a Sunday, which you will hear later on when Becca joins us, that we've done some psychic readings on Sunday Just Gone. And Becca, well, she was impressed. Let me put it that way. It's the first time that we've been discussing or doing something paranormal and I've seen her go, oh, that was quite good. So there you go. So what you need to do, you need to head over to patreon.com forward slash we need to talk about ghosts. And not only do you get all of that extra content, you also get me. Yes, I, Kev Eustace. Hello. Singing out your, I just hit myself in the head. Singing out your name via the medium of a guitar as a thank you. Just like I'm going to do for these wonderful new patrons. The guitar is well and truly out and we have four wonderful new Patreons to say thank you to this week. We have Lindsay Luby, Sheriff Tariq, Molly Stetzer and Becca Smith. And this one is for you. Oh yeah. Lindsay Luby, Sheriff Tariq, Becca Smith as well. Not to forget. Miley Stetzer, cause she signed up as well And I want to say Thank you, thank you I want to say Thank you, thank you Ended it on a seventh there, as we like to do when we sing to our Patreons. So yeah, head over to patreon.com forward slash we need to talk about ghosts. Why not? You may as well. In the meantime, let's have a paranormal review, shall we? Okay, it's time for the paranormal review, where Kev reviews something paranormal so you don't have to. Yes, it doesn't work, as a saying. Anyway, what are we going to talk about today? So, we're going to review something... Um, that I haven't yet finished, so I can't give it a proper review, which sounds like a bit of a waste of time. But trust me, it's not. It's a fictional programme. Yes, it is. It's on Netflix, and it's called Archive 81. And apparently it was made, or should I say based, off a podcast. So the general premise is this guy, and this is not a spoiler. Becca always tells me off for doing spoilers. But I'm just telling you this so that you can see if you're interested in it, and I think you will be. So this guy restores old video cassettes, right? 
and somebody hires him to look at this big back catalogue of damaged cassettes. And he says, yeah, okay. But because they're so damaged, he has to go to this far-off part of the country where they're kept in a protective environment and all that carry on. And he goes over there on his own, no phone signal, because it's wilderness. And um, he starts trying to make these tapes all viewable. And in doing so, unravels mystery after mystery. And I'm only two episodes in, but I effing love what I've seen so far. So if you want to join me in watching something and we can watch along together, as they say in Birmingham, um, go and view it. It's on Netflix. Currently, it's two thumbs up right in the sky because I'm really into it. Don't get me wrong. If after watching the full series, I think, well, that was a bit naff, I'll get right back on here and give you an update. But right now, I'm all for it. Go and check it out. Sorry about the creaks, by the way. I'm on a creaky wooden chair. Um, wooden chair, know it. But anyway, go and check it out. Archive 81 on Netflix. Two thumbs up. <laughs> Hooray! It's time for my favourite part of the show, where I get to read your true paranormal experiences. Now, don't forget, if you've got one, send it in to contact at talkaboutghosts.com and I read it out, for that's how the show works. It's your show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just here as the host. I'm like a concierge of the paranormal, if you will. Anyway, we've had an email in from Tatiana, and she writes, Hello, Kevin. Hi. Hi, Becca. What the fuck was that? Sorry, Becca. And the neighbour's cat, Meow, who is definitely not named Sienna or anything guest-related. That's right, Tatiana, she's not. Well said. Don't even know her name. NC, isn't it? NC. First off, I love the podcast. Why, thank you. Even the new, less waffle version of We Need to Talk About Ghosts. Thank you again. Becca's Reddit Corner is a refreshing addition. Ah, oh, I'll be sure to let her know. Just thought I'd send in a couple of stories. Hope you enjoy them. Cheers, Tatiana. Thank you, Tatiana. I'm sure we will. And this is your first story. 20 years ago, I bought my first house. It was a hair-raising adventure. And along the way, I had some very memorable viewings. Here is the story of one of them. My real estate broker and I were at odds, again. When I said I wanted a cosy bungalow with the restored vintage charm, she heard old and run down. There was so much in my price range in her inventory, if only she would just take a look and not settle for a cheap tracked housing from the 1980s. It was true, the margin for what I wanted in my price range was not wide but it wasn't slim either. When we met up on Saturdays, we both had a list of available properties, with never a matching set. We'd been at this for months, and maybe I should have looked for another broker, especially since she didn't understand when I told her a potential property felt off and refused to consider it, no matter the price or location. It was a golden spring afternoon, pressing into evening, brisk, but with the potential of summer lingering in the dew from the brief thunderstorm that had passed with furious speed, whilst we looked at a potential farmhouse remodel. It did have potential, and I was eager to talk offers, but there was just one more place that she wanted me to see. A great little property on the edge of the patchwork of suburban sprawl and mostly fallow farmland. To say I was reluctant was an understatement, We'd been touring houses for several hours, and I knew anything she wanted me to look at this late was another suburban blank canvas, well within my price range, but with all the soul of a mayo sandwich on white with extra sour cream. 
she had some difficulty locating the property. As the roads here uncharacteristically slewed and curved, the house number obscured by the rangy evergreens planted close to the red brick so ubiquitous to the 1960s ranch house. Eventually, she pulled into the weedy and pitted driveway. Cheerfully, she slipped out of the leather driver's seat of her late model Range Rover, beckoning me to join her on the cracked and uneven walk leading up to the low stoop before the front door. Innocuous as it seemed from the drive, I felt a deep, sucking, angry darkness emanating from the large picture window of the living room. I did not want to go into the house, not even to appease my broker. Slowly, looking all around, I crept up to the walk to where Anne was fumbling with the code for the lockbox. Even when the light turned green, it refused to swing open and release the key. I muttered that it was okay. I didn't need to see this house. But she cheerily rattled on that she'd seen it last week during an open house, and it was vintage and very well kept. I told her I was uneasy. Two women, at dusk, in a sparsely populated corner of a small country town. Well, maybe it wasn't safe. She reassured me that it was, and it was only late afternoon, rarely, and that all I needed to do was take a peek. The key popped out of the lockbox at that moment, and she jammed it into the lock. It wouldn't turn. She struggled and struggled, mentioning to my horror that it felt like someone was holding the doorknob from the inside. Wasn't that funny? Ha ha. I told her again that this doesn't seem like a place I would like. Too new. Now the door is open and she's chatting away inside turning on the lights. It was a standard stopped in time around 1965 ranch house. Identical in layout to the one I grew up in. I hated that house and I knew I was going to hate this one too. I'm standing just inside the front door Sneakers drowning in the pristine avocado green shag carpeting. My mind crammed full of angry male energy. I can hear Anne rambling on about the yard and the garage and giving me specs and all other things brokers do. But somewhere in all that stream that I pick out this is an estate sale because the house is part of a probate proceeding. A woman and her disabled adult son had lived here for years until she passed and other children decided to sell. My skin prickled. I moved quickly across the living room to the adjoining dining room, where Anne was staring into the kitchen. The back door was wide open, the screen door swinging as if someone had bolted from the basement to the backyard as we entered. Then the pounding started. The floor felt as if someone was beating on it with a hydraulic press. Bam, bam, bam. Maybe we should check out the basement, Anne suggested. No way, I told her. It was time to leave. She insisted on closing the back door. Otherwise, she would be in trouble for not securing the house after showing it. I told her she was welcome to, but I was staying in the dining room. I could see the fear seeping through the brave face she was putting on, but I was frozen in terror. Bam, bam, bam. The floor jumped again. I could see it was worse in the kitchen, the old linoleum trembling under her tasteful pumps. Then, as we both watched, spellbound, all of the cupboard doors opened, in sync, slowly, then slammed shut. 
and again. Heavy, pounding, rhythmic, like someone running up the basement stairs to open the back door, flooded the kitchen. I ran for the front door, leaving my broker in the crazy chaos of the kitchen. As I stood on the lawn, well back from the house, panting, my heart racing, she stepped through the front door, locked it, and returned the key to the lockbox. We both got back in her Range Rover and looked at each other. I really don't think that's the house for me, I said. She put the car in reverse in reply. We drove in silence for a few miles, both stunned. Did did that really happen? she asked. Yes, I told her, it did. I've been in thousands of homes all over the state, and I've never, ever had one that was... Haunted, I offered. Yeah, she said, sounding defeated. After that, she listened to me when I said a place was off, even if I was just looking at the listing on her phone. Tatiana, what are you trying to do to me, darling? That is amazing. What a terrifying story. You know what? I often wonder about estate agents and whether they are an untapped resource of paranormal purveyance. Because think about it, they go in, they do nothing but go into houses and say, Isn't this a lovely aspect? Do you like the kitchen island? Hmm, do you have children? And I reckon a lot of the times they must go in and go, Isn't this a lovely upstairs? And they're like, Oh, that's just, uh, yeah, next door's a uh, 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 poltergeist. I reckon it must happen. So if you're an estate agent, or you know anyone who's an estate agent, ask them. Ask them about the ghosties that haunt their place of work. And I think together we will... This chair's doing my fucking head in. I'm going to have to do some put some WD-40 on this. I'll sit in a different chair for next episode. I do apologise, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, ask your estate agent friends or brokers in the States uh, if they've got any good ghost stories about houses they've been to. But Tatiana, thank you ever so much. And we're not finished with Tatiana, for she sent in another story. And we're going to read it out right now. In 2003, I moved from the West Coast to Kentucky to live with someone I met on the internet. The move had been ill-advised, full of warnings and portents that it was an overall bad idea. I had stubbornly forged ahead anyway. I'd stayed at his place once before, for a week in May. The tiny house had felt eerie and off, but I had dismissed it as culture shock and a slanting floor. I'm just going to stop there because that first paragraph... I've heard before. And I think, if I'm right, Tatiana, you've sent this into the ghost story guys very recently because I recognise that. For those who haven't listened to that show, I'm going to continue, and also because you've sent it into this show also. Um, But if you think you know this story, it'd be because you also listen to the ghost story guys, I imagine. Anyway, I'll continue. Now that I was manoeuvring among the boxes and furniture crammed into the space, it felt oppressive and overwhelming. Again, I tried to chalk it up to culture shock and the undeniable fact that the relationship, while working long distance, was turning into a controlling nightmare in the confined space of the aging, tiny house on the banks of the Ohio River. Little did I know everything was going to get much worse. The house was tiny, three rooms over a dirt floor cellar, with a spring in one corner that caused a trickle of water to seep out under the rough-hewn door. From there it would continue under the wide porch and cascade merrily down the crooked stone steps and into the narrow street when the rain was particularly hard. 
originally the summer kitchen for the large three-story house next door, sometime between when it was built around 1840 and the early part of the 20th century, it had been converted into a tiny little cottage. The spring seeping into the cellar floor was causing the corner of the house to slowly sink, tilting everything down the steep hill on which it was built. The back of the cottage was dug into the hillside, the small rear terrace banked with a dry stone wall. The front of the cottage was well above the grade, steep wooden stairs leading to a wide porch that ran the length of the house. Because of it being an original outbuilding for the larger home next door, there was only a small stone path edged by another crumbling dry stone wall between them. Like I said, the place felt off from the start. Not long after I moved in, we got a dog. The backyard, while large, was not really fenced and far too steep to be of any real use. Very active train tracks marked the rear border some 20 yards up the hill. And so, when the dog had to go out, you had to take him on a leash and wait while he did his sniffing and his business. I hated it. The tiny back terrace was in full, clear view of the house next door, and it often felt like the only thing keeping something horrible at bay was the ancient and uneven stone wall between the two properties. It just seemed to loom there, whitewashed with black windows staring down at you in the middle of the day, whilst the dog wandered round for a good spot for a constitutional. It was owned by an evangelical preacher, and he rented it to parishioners who were down on their luck. Neighbourhood rumour had it that he lived there for a decade or so before his wife went crazy and tried to kill herself and the children. No one who lived there seemed particularly stable. The place was divided up into two apartments, one on the first level and one on the second, and an empty attic space that was never rented. Each floor had a couple of the long, narrow windows of the 1840s that faced our house. All except the third floor was screened with heavy curtains, or the slightly nuttier tinfoil. Not long after I moved in, we were awoken in the night by the sound of emergency vehicles. We stepped outside under the pretext of walking the dog and spoke with an officer at the edge of our property. He was more than keen to share. The father of the family renting the ground floor apartment had gone on a drunken rampage and beat his wife severely, and he was being taken to jail and she to hospital. According to the officer friendly, there were mental health and drug addiction issues with the parents, and the conditions in the apartment were ugly. Lots of neglect and filth, and the children were going into protective custody. Whatever happened that night, the couple never returned, and the landlord cleared out their apartment onto the street for the scavengers and trash collectors, and set about renting it again. The next set of people to rent the ground floor apartment were a middle-aged woman and daughter, They were typical evangelical Baptist types. Long hair, long skirts, Bibles. They were nervous and quiet, and whatever it was in this house seemed to be leaving them alone at first. The second floor tenants never stayed long, always moving out after a few months. Soon, the landlord's nephew took the second floor apartment. He seemed to like hanging out in the narrow walkway along the side of the house. He was always there, with a beer and a smoke, when I went out with the dog or was leaving the house in general. He seemed to take an interest in our property and me. It seemed friendly enough, if sort of unnerving at first. 
he would lean over the knee-high wall and talk to me whilst I was on dog duty, even offering to mow our extremely steep and overgrown lawn. I took him up on that offer. That lawn was a bitch. After a while, I asked him about the third floor, if anyone had that apartment, because sometimes I saw movement and a pale face staring out of the attic window. He told me that no one lived up there, or even went up there, because there was a powerfully evil ghost up there from around the time that the house was built. He went on to tell me that it had driven all the people who lived in the third floor crazy, and had even caused evil things to happen in the second floor apartment, but that he was strong in Jesus and it wouldn't affect him. All the Satan and Jesus talk was a bit much for me, so I just smiled and took the dog back inside, trying to avoid looking up at the third floor window any time I went out anymore. But if I did happen to catch it, there was always some faintly glowing shape just on the inside of the glass. That winter, I became pregnant with my first child. Around the same time, my boyfriend admitted that he'd lied about quitting smoking, and after a huge fight, I told him he could smoke outside, but not inside. He would always take the dog out with him, and I was so glad I didn't have to stand in the freezing cold, avoiding the house 10 feet from our patio. I slept on the couch a lot during my pregnancy, or in my recliner. It was just more comfortable, and our relationship was crumbling. Many, many nights I would be dozing, only to be awoken by whispers on the patio, or a tapping on the window over the couch that looked out onto our back terrace. It was monumentally creepy, but I had no real options to move out, so I just kind of ignored it. I found the neighbour on our patio a few times, usually with an excuse about shoveling snow or looking for some critter or other. In brackets, we had seen a huge black snake slide along the foundation to the cellar one day, and there were raccoons, a badger and a possum. I usually smiled and thanked him for taking care of it. The house layout was odd. The front door opened off a large wide porch into the living space. If you continued straight, you walked along the wall that bisected the house. This path was delineated by hardwood flooring. The rest of the living space had carpet. At the end of this path, you stepped down one small step and had the option of going forward into the tiny bathroom, left out of the back door onto the terrace, or right into the kitchen. The living room was one half of the house, with the door to the bedroom next to the front door, opening directly into the living space. The house was really only three rooms, all very small. The living room furniture was arranged to further mark the path from the front door to the kitchen. My recliner sat on the edge of the hardwood, and I would often hear footsteps walk from the bedroom, along the wall, past my head, and then stop in the small space between the kitchen, bath, and back door. I would feel the passage of air and hear the rustle of fabric. If I opened my eyes, there would be nothing there, but I could still hear and feel it. I noticed that this never seemed to bother the dog, or our two cats, so I decided it was benign. The tapping, however, sent the dog into hyper-alert mode. He would get up, growling and pace along the wall, and sit and stare at the back door every time it happened. The back door had glass panes in the upper half, so when you walked past the bathroom or the kitchen, you could see out. Often I would glance out to see the third-story window glowing faintly, or once, lit up like there was a light on in the attic. That light stayed on for a week or two, so I have to assume it was a living person in the attic, despite being told no one went up there.
In the early summer, we were again woken in the night to emergency vehicles. This time, the neighbor came over and said the daughter of the ground floor tenant had slipped into a diabetic coma, and the mother had just been praying over her for a week. Someone from their church had called in a welfare check when they missed Saturday service, and the officer had found her. The mother slipped into the ambulance with the daughter, and we never saw them again. A month or so later, the contents of their apartment were also out on the curb, just like last time. The nephew was the only one living in the house now. The pastor hadn't rented the ground floor unit this time. We often heard shouting and screaming from the house, and creepy, weird music. Like gospel music played a half speed, at all hours of the day and night. Lights came on and off in all the windows at random, sometimes blinking on and off like Morse code. The tapping on our windows and doors grew louder and more frequent. Then one day I came home from work to see the nephew being placed, shirtless and in handcuffs, in the back of a police cruiser. The house sat empty and glowering after that, but I was preoccupied with the imminent birth of my daughter. She was an angry baby, screaming and crying for hours and hours at a time. She also refused to sleep. I had a newborn that was getting five to seven hours of sleep a night, and I was utterly at the end of my rope by the time she was a few months old. The only place she seemed even slightly calm was her vibrating bouncer. Her wellness checks didn't indicate anything was physically wrong, and the doctors told me that some babies were just like that. They probably thought I was exaggerating. When she was three months old, I flew the 1,700 miles back to my hometown so my terminally ill mother could meet her only grandchild. The entire month we were there, she was happy and slept for hours on end. I couldn't believe it. I thought there had to be some sort of grandma magic my mum was using. It was short-lived. As soon as we were back, she reverted to angry, insomniac baby. Eventually, I started trying to sleep train her, with a bedtime ritual and a set bedtime each night. If she started crying, I waited a few minutes to see if she would self-soothe and go back to sleep before intervening. Since the bedroom opened directly onto the living space, I would put her to bed and close the door so the light and noise were muted. At first, there was a lot of crying before she eventually wore herself out and went to sleep. It frustrated me there was no consoling her, but I made sure she was safe and her needs met and just let her rail at the universe. After a few weeks, the nightly ritual seemed to be helping and there was some fuss as I put her to bed, but she fell asleep relatively quickly. I was starting to think I could maybe handle this parenting thing. Then, it started. 45 minutes to an hour after I put her down, the silence would be broken by this ear-splitting wail of pain and terror. I would burst into the bedroom, only to have the screaming stop at the moment the door opened, and I'd find my daughter fast asleep, her much-beloved pacifier still in her mouth. Now she was an angry baby, going red-faced and sweaty with yelling, but she very rarely cried in pain and never in fear. These cries were different. They were not in anger. They were the kind of a baby scream that sets panic in a mother's heart. These were cries of agony and terror. They were loud and horrible. This went on nightly, sometimes two or three times a night, for months. They always stopped as soon as I opened the door. Since there was only one bedroom, I slept in the same room. If I went to bed at the same time, I would wake up to the screams, but as soon as I was upright in bed, they would stop. It happened so often that I started waiting a few minutes 
to see if the shrieking would stop before opening the door. It would happen when I had friends over, and they were shocked, saying it had to be my daughter, until I opened the door and the wailing would stop immediately, and she would be peacefully asleep. It happened so much that eventually we started calling it the ghost baby. The wailing would start and we would pause, turn towards the bedroom door, and wait. 90% of the time it would last for a minute or two, then stop as abruptly as it started. No burbling or snuffling like babies do when they've self-soothed. Just silence. It continued until I left the house and my emotionally abusive relationship, moving back across the country to my hometown. My daughter stayed fierce and strong-willed and still hated sleeping, but I never heard the phantom baby again. Was whatever plagued the house next door responsible? Once, whatever was there no longer had tenants to harass, did some part of it sleep across the dry stone wall into our house? The two properties were tied together in history, if now separated by property lines, had some horrible tragedy occurred in our house at some time in the past. Something that involved whatever angry female energy that lurked in the attic next door, and a baby in fear and pain in our bedroom. Did the spring under the living room or the limestone in the foundation cause some strange entity to manifest? It was said that the Miami peoples avoided the area where Cincinnati is now, refusing to cross the Ohio River into what is now northern Kentucky, calling it cursed, haunted with the souls of a thousand slain and some horrible battles of the far distant past. All I know is that my time here was haunted. It was dark and unsettling, and I was very glad to leave it behind. Wow, Tatiana, what the hell? That is awesome, what a story. Apologies to anyone who also listens to Ghost Story Guys. As I say, when I started reading that out, because I don't pre-read, I should really, um, I realised I'd heard it before because I listened to Ghost Story Guys and I recognised the story. So if you're hearing that for the second time, hey, it's a good story, isn't it? Um, so thank you, Tatiana. That is utterly terrifying. Yeah, I've no idea what was in that adjacent house, but it sounds bloody terrifying. Anyway... It's that time of the show now where we should go and see what Beck is up to in her lovely corner. Ladies and gentlemen, now it is time for Paranormal Reddit Corner with Becca. Yes, it's that time of the week again. My favourite time. Well, I say this about every segment in the show, but Becca's here, so I have to say this is my favourite time. Hi, Becca. Don't give me your false praise. I'm not interested. It's not false praise. It's genuine praise. It's just I share it about the show. No, you can only have one favourite part. Okay, then. It's, this is my favourite part. I don't believe you. Well, it is right now. Give me the lip service. Right about now. The Funk Soul Brother. This is my favourite part. How have you been? I'm okay. Anything paranormal to report? No. Are you sure? Didn't one of us, and I, it was me... Give the other one a psychic reading yesterday, and you found it quite impressive. Everyone knows about that. No, this is not a Patreon. This is for the main show. This was on a Patreon episode. Oh, right, okay. Um, yeah, 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 that was, that was good, yeah. So I read your jewellery, didn't I? You Psychometry. Did? Yeah, two, two pieces of jewellery. And had a few pretty good hits. Yeah, yeah, one in particular was quite good, so that, yeah. that was impressive, yeah. And uh, there you go, so a sceptic, still a sceptic, but uh, a little bit intrigued, shall we say. Yeah, it was good. That's the best we're going to get out of it in terms of belief. So. <laughs> yeah, if you're interested in checking out the Patreon, go ahead. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, other than that, how have you been? So cold. It is cold, isn't it? We've had so cold. two back-to-back storms and this flat is like a cheese grater, isn't it? It's just so cold all it's, the time. Why is a cheese grater cold? Um, because it's got holes in. 
So the wind can go right through it. Yeah, I thought it's just so, so cold. It's awful. You're literally sat here now, aren't you? In a fleece, holding a hot water bottle with your fairy wellies on and two pairs of socks. Yeah, including thermal socks. I've also got a hoodie on underneath this fleece. Pensioners would die in this flat, I think. I'm close. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Well, maybe you'll haunt it to keep it paranormal, of course, because we like to keep it paranormal nowadays. Um, So, Becca, thank you for welcoming us to your Reddit corner. I haven't done yet, but I will do. Welcome us, please. <laughs> I feel like a vampire. You... Welcome us, Becca. Welcome us. I will when you prepare. Okay. This I is the story don't. I've prepared for you today. And when I say prepare, I mean sat down, went to Reddit, put in ghosts. And this is the... The good thing about these stories is that they're always fresh. They're within... Oh, this was only eight hours old. Wow. So there you go. You get them right off the presses. There he is. Hot off the press. Hmm. Wish it was hot. Wish it was I'll physically hot. Out. I know. So do I. <laughs> Clutch it to my cold chest. Okay. Welcome to Reddit Corner with Becca. Ah, oh, thanks, Becca. Let's begin. Let's. This story is called Fort Leavenworth Haunting, 6th Infantry. Oh, try and project, Becca. I'm not trying to give you pointers. Oh my God, go away. <laughs> <laughs> I was not doing this without you. You were just amusing. Fair enough. My family and I lived in Fort Leavenworth for almost a year around 2015. When we first moved in around July, nothing felt particularly off, at least to me. Mm. Beginning around October, one night, my sister woke up screaming bloody murder that somebody had yanked her hair from behind her bed. Her headboard was metal bars, so it seemed plausible, except that her headboard was pushed tightly against the wall so nobody could stand behind her to pull her hair. Spooky. I thought nothing of it. Are are we interjecting? Uh, No, but carry on. Well, why are you interjecting? Because I'm allowed, I'm the host. Now I've got something to say. Oh, go on then, say something. (laughs) I was just going to say that... Imagine a child waking up screaming, someone pull my hair, someone pull my hair, and being like, well, there are only bars there, so that is plausible. Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah. Now, back to bed with you. <laughs> yeah. Pray it doesn't happen yeah, yeah, again. No, I, I believe you. Yeah, I think it did. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Thank God I'm not in there. Let's Night. Con- let's continue. Go on, then. I, give me a second and find my space. Oh. Another morning, I woke up to her crying that there were a million dead spiders in our bathtub. I ran into the bathroom with her, and we both saw nothing. They'd gone faster than they appeared, so I still thought nothing of it. Again? Why do they keep thinking But is this the daughter is... again? Is it daughter or sister? Sister. Okay, was this the sister again? Because it could just be the yeah. sisters on the loopy juice. Not about yeah. the, the other sister, yeah. Um, so I still thought nothing of it. Another night, she was hanging out in another bedroom that was upstairs. Upstairs was all the kids' bedrooms. The first floor had all been torn out and then redone and had a master bath and mm. bed added there. And the door started shaking in its place like the wind was pulling it, but the window was shut. She insisted that something or someone was doing it and couldn't get out of the room. Once again, I brushed the experience off. Fucking hell, She's mate. utterly not bothered about I'll tell you what, and then she came back with a black eye. She said she'd been attacked. <laughs> I told her to stop being silly. <laughs> the next night, as I was turning off my bedside lamp getting ready for bed, I saw the silhouette of what appeared to be a man in a Civil War uniform. I never saw any colour. It was all black. I could never see his face either, but every night he would stand at the foot of my bed and watch me sleep. Once again, I brushed it off. (laughs) Sometimes I would wake up and feel his presence by my bedside table closer to my face. Other nights I would experience sleep paralysis and was tormented by images of him. I never felt like I was meant to be afraid of this man, except during sleep paralysis. Sometimes I wonder if it was the same entity tormenting my sister. And why was she the one to get tormented? If anything... I was the one always talking shit about it around the house before I started seeing him. <laughs> then again, maybe it was just to remind me that he's always watching. Yeah, he's not a nice guy. There's, whoever's wrote that does not sound like a nice individual. 
what um what an interesting narrator yeah yeah yeah, so utterly not bothered about this. I mean, where are the parents and all this? Yeah, but also that that line of, uh, I never felt he was there to scare us. What? When he was pulling your sister's hair and showing her dead spiders in the bath and then making you freeze in bed and hovering next to your bed. It sounds yeah. to me like he's trying to scare you. Yeah. And he uh, comments on it from people. Um, someone says, now that is interesting. Being in a haunted space is unnerving. Which, um... Okay, don't be liking stuff. I'm not liking stuff. I was just trying to see if there are any more, because it seems like there's only one comment. Yeah, well, it's new, isn't it? It's only eight hours old. Fresh, fresh off the presses. So what do you make of that? Apart from the narrator being... A, <laughs> not the narrator, because you were the narrator, but, um, you know, the writer being an absolute plum. I mean, obviously, I'm a sceptic, but in the house, if, if someone said there were a million spiders in the bath, mm. and I came in, and there were none there, and they said, oh, they went as quickly as they came... Like, I wouldn't think, oh, yeah, they probably were, and now they're gone. I'm like, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. It's... You know, you think they were lying, wouldn't you? Well, yeah. Or you'd feel the forehead, at least, and be like... Because I remember once, well, I don't remember this, but my brother, when he was really young, apparently, he hallucinated during a fever that spiders, that the blinds were going up and down by themselves, and that spiders were all over the windows. Right. And me mum and dad swear it was because he had a fever. But could he have also been... Possessed by spirits in the house. Yeah, interesting how she knows this is a civil man, a uh, civil war man. Yeah. And when it was just a shadow. Yeah, yeah, good point. Good no point. colours or anything, can't see the face, just a shadow. Um, and why would a civil war soldier do, like, to the spiders and stuff, and, like, pull hair? I don't know, but maybe they knew it was a civil war man. Maybe he was whispering, yay, the south. Yeah, you're the South. Well, then she should really have included that in the story, because that's relevant information. I, I, I completely agree with you. We walked past the first American embassy in the world yesterday, didn't we? Yes, we did. It's in Liverpool, because mm-hmm. we were such a horrible port for slavery. Um, but the first American... Uh, what is it? American embassy. Embassy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is now a French restaurant. Still got the big eagle outside, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. For um, To show American... Yeah, is it Cote Bistro? Cote Bistro, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's what they intended when they were like, this will be the first place of American land in foreign soil. And it's just near a big gate monument, isn't it? Yeah, for the sailors. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, as always, Becca, anything you uh, thank you for allowing us into your humble corner. You're welcome. Anything you want to add apart from desperate pleas for warmth? <laughs> um, I don't think so. No, I, I don't think I've got much else to We've had quite a lot of communication from people saying that your idea of me putting a stand-up in Liverpool City Centre mm. with a sign that says, tell me your ghost stories, is a good idea. I told you it was a good idea. Yeah, I'm still... You know what, I'd say yes at like a convention. You know, like if there was a paranormal convention and I could right, get well, a stand obviously, it, obviously, if there was a paranormal convention, you, as a paranormal podcaster, would need to be there. Like, what a ridiculous thing to yeah, say. Yeah, but my point is... No, my point is, is that... I don't think people understand how treacherous just opening a stand in Liverpool city centre is with the sign that says, tell me your ghost stories. But you see, this is, this is exactly my point about it being in the public and it not being a paranormal event because your audience is skewed, whereas to just get members of the public who aren't like self-proclaimed believers or you know necessarily, mm. they've got no skin in the game. It's like that book that you always said you really liked about the taxi driver. Uh, the yeah. taxi driver put together this collection of ghost stories because he'd asked people, have you ever seen a ghost? And the title of the book was No But. Yeah, and they and they go into it, and he found that he got really interesting stories there, and that's what I think was interesting about this idea. You just get in them, you know, a random selection of people off the street who've got nothing to gain, nothing yeah. to lose, you know, and just we'll just tell you. Um, I knew it was a good idea, and I'm 
a bit hurt, really, that it took everyone else telling you it was a good <laughs> idea for you to accept it, because you mocked me. No, you know what? I've just thought of a really good idea for a podcast, right? And I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to do it until I'm absolutely able to leave work and do all this. Right. Get on this. I think this is a cracking idea. Listen. A travelling booth, right? So like the Antiques Road Show, mm. but like the Antiques School Show. So I'd say, next week, guys, I'm going to be in Shropshire. Get down love to the it. Shropshire Art Museum. I love it. And then the people can queue up and there'll be a booth and I'll come in and go, there's your microphone, speak into it, tell us your ghost story. I love it, I love it, I love it. It's a good idea, isn't it's it? brilliant. I, I love think it. so. Next week, guys, we're in Glasgow. Get down, tell me your ghost stories. Yeah. I think it's a cracking thing. Yeah, no, it's a great idea. So, hang on. What you are saying, though, is you're basically literally taking my idea, but on tour. I'm putting it on wheels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're just going to different... So, not just our city, different... So, when it was uh, just an idea in our city at the end of the road, idea. it was all Bad idea. But now you want to commit to doing it yeah. nationally. And also, I think because I've put wheels on it, it's technically a different idea and therefore non-claimable on your behalf <laughs> I do not think so um, I'm so glad these are recorded they've already got out <laughs> I've clearly got plenty of people who, who can vouch for the fact that it well, was okay. it is where the last episode suddenly accidentally gets deleted <laughs> might, I'm just saying it might okay well whilst we go offline and discuss ownership of this idea no it's a great idea though how do you like it yeah I think so too Yeah. okay well thank you for letting us into your corner Becca you're welcome um, and uh, say goodbye from your corner goodbye thank you for joining Reddit Corner with Becca very nice. Goodbye. Very quiet, though. Are you going to be giving these people in this travelling booth this amount of you? No, they'll be all fine. They'll, under- they'll some- understand how it works. Are you going to somehow set it up for them so that they can speak at their own normal volume and not get shouted Ma- at? Maybe, maybe. Okay, thank you, though, Becca. You're welcome. Goodbye. Bye-bye.